can actually put this statement to the test. And social scientists have done that. And they have demonstrated that it's pretty much sociological fact that generous people are happier. Generous people are happier people. Generous people are healthier people. Generous people are better connected people. They're actually better off in every measure. We took a whole Sunday to talk about that a couple of weeks ago. You can always find that online. But the best explanation for this is not that happy people are generous or that healthy people are generous. It's actually the opposite. Generous people are happier. Generous people are healthier. Generosity actually has a generating effect. But there are some conditions that apply. Not all generosity generates joy. And if you want to practice the kind of generosity that is more blessed, you'll want to build three qualities into your generosity. And these three qualities, they're based in Scripture, but they're also illustrated in interesting ways by some of the research on generosity. And so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about these three biblical qualities that, that we need to build into generosity and, and kind of tell some stories about how social research affirms what the Scripture says. And then I'd like to end by painting just a brief picture of what this kind of generosity would look like if we practiced it in this valley. And so, the first quality, I want to tell you a story. I want to share some of the research that comes out of a book that I introduced to you a couple weeks ago called The Paradox of Generosity. These are two guys, uh, two people who, uh, two PhD researchers from the University of Notre Dame who've studied this idea. And the, the paradox of generosity is this. That's the name of their book. And the paradox is this, that uh, being a pipe that distributes instead of a bucket that collects, actually makes you happier and healthier and better off in every measure. And that's the paradox of generosity. Really, Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so they put this idea to the test, and they measured every kind of generosity that you could think of. They measured generosity in finances. They measured generosity in a person's time and their willingness to volunteer for an organization and serve. They measured the kind of generosity that comes between neighbors where you're just willing to watch your friend's kids while they go to a doctor's appointment or uh, you bring someone a meal when they're sick. All kinds of generosity that they measured. And and what they found, what, what they found was that people who practiced these forms of generosity were better off, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago, but... They found, uh, they found something else that was really interesting. They found that all these different forms of generosity made people better off in all these different respects, except for four forms of generosity they measured. They measured four forms of generosity that didn't move the needle of happiness at all. And they couldn't figure it out. Now, the, the four things that didn't move the happiness needle at all were... Uh, Checking the box on your driver's license to say, I'm willing to become an organ donor. Okay? People who checked that box. People who gave blood. That didn't move the needle. People who lent their possessions. And people who wrote someone into their will. They were generous with their will. 
And what they found, they measured all these different kinds of generosity, and they all contributed to well-being. But then they came up on these four different forms of generosity that didn't seem to move the needle at all, and they were scratching their heads. They couldn't understand. Why isn't this generating happiness? Why don't these four things generate happiness? And it made them wonder, do, have we, are, we up, you know, are we barking up the wrong tree? Do we, have a, do we understand this? Uh, do we not understand the, the, the data, and, and are we misinterpreting it? And the longer they looked at this, the more they, they feel like they understand the difference. So I want to see if, uh, if, you can, uh, if you can see the difference. What's the difference between say, uh, saying, I care for the health of people, and so I will check the box on my driver's license to become an organ donor in the case of an accident. What's the difference between that and saying, I care about the health of people, and I will volunteer at the hospital once a week? What's the difference between saying, uh, I bequeath to my son all of my earthly possessions, or whatever, or I, uh, I want to leave this to my church in my will, right? What's the difference between writing that into your will and, act- and actually versus actually giving your son some money when he needs it, or giving to your church? while you're still alive. What's the difference? And as these, uh, there are a number of possible explanations for why these four things didn't move the needle, but as, you'll have to read the book, and I'd be happy to let you borrow mine. But uh, the one factor that these researchers think makes a difference is it's the difference between cultivating a generous practice versus a generous one-time act. Okay, uh, volunteering at the hospital every week is a regular practice. It's a repeated behavior. It's a generosity that you display every week, every, every time you do it. It's built into your life. Checking the box to become an organ donor is a one-time event that doesn't cost you anything at the moment that you perform it. And uh, you actually are hoping it never comes to be, Right? And uh, then you, after you check the box, you forget about it, and you walk away from it. Writing someone into your will is a one-time event. You do it, you've put it, you've, you file it someplace important, and you walk away from it. But using your resources while you're still alive to help your children, or a, a cause that you care about, that's a behavior that you repeat at a certain level of frequency. And so the explanation that these researchers came up with for why those four things don't really move the needle is because they're, they're not repeated behaviors. It's not a generosity that is actually built into someone's lifestyle. And the principle here that has Scripture at its basis is that generosity that is more blessed is, is a regular behavior. It's a lifestyle practice. It's a routine and a way of life. It's not a one-off. Okay, so if you can't say, hey, remember that one time I bought that person a cup of coffee and it cost me $2.50 and I'm still not happy. Right? That's not the idea. It's a practice that we build into our lives. And Paul taught believers to practice the routine of giving. Really clear in one place in 1 Corinthians 16, he's coaching 
the believers in the city of Corinth. And he says this, Now, about the collection for God's people, kind of an assumed thing. About the collection for God's people. These people in Corinth were giving money to some uh, Jesus followers in Jerusalem who were in dire straits. Now, about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, set a, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so when I come, no collections will have to be made. This idea of being systematic. You know, when we're managing our resources, one of the things we have to be careful about, I mean, it takes some planning. It, it takes some coordination. And Paul is saying to these uh, Jesus followers in Corinth, be systematic about this, be thoughtful about this, set money aside. So the takeaway here is to just build generosity into your life and be systematic about it. It's systematic generosity, not one-off generosity, that is more blessed. And, and so when you volunteer and you say, I, I want to be generous with my time, and I have a few abilities that I'm pretty good at, and, or, or I at least have some availability, and I'm pretty good at that. And, and I'm willing to serve every Easter. You know, I mean, once a year is not quite the routine that's really going to that's really gonna change your attitude about generosity. So you think about volunteering. You say, how can, I, how can I build serving my church into my life? How can I make that something I do on a regular basis, not just something I do every once in a while? How can I make uh, giving to my faith family or giving to this cause that I care about? How can I do that on a regular basis? How can I build that into my life? One, uh, one way that people are systematic is they do automatic withdrawal in their giving to organizations. But here's what I'd say, and I think that's great. I think it's a great practice. Uh, the only thing I'd say is if you build automatic withdrawal into how you give, you might, it might be just as bad as writing it into your will and walking away and forgetting about it. And so, if you give on the first of the month or the 15th of the month, then you ought to stop on that day and you ought to think, hmm, I just gave to this cause that I care about today. And I'm happy to have participated in that way. I'm glad that God has allowed me to do that. And you stop and think about it. If, you're, if you give an automatic withdrawal to this faith family, when we give our offering, you're like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. They already gave. And, but you know what you ought to do? You ought to turn that into a moment of thinking, I, I give up my resources to support the mission of this faith family, and I'm happy to do that. I do that as an act of worship to God. And you, you, bring it, you, know, you kind of bring it up and, and remember it and allow yourself to experience just the joy of being able to participate in uh, something meaningful that God has called you to be part of. So you build it into your, your life. You're systematic about it. That's the first quality. Uh, the second quality is a... Uh, so the first quality, we could call it regularity. Let's call it that. The second quality uh, for generosity that's more blessed is simply just generosity that's joyful. Uh, you give because you're happy to give. What you need to know about everything we've talked about between genero- the relationship between generosity and happiness, here's what you need to know. We've talked about these, all this research. What you need to know about this research is, is it also says if you give because you want to be happy, it won't move the needle of your well-being at all. If that's why you give, it's like, all right, I'm going to try this. 
and I'm going to give, and I don't want to, but if it's the only way I'll ever become happy, I'm willing to give it a try. And the people who give because they want to help themselves become happy don't actually experience any benefit. But the people who give because they want to help other people are the ones who experience the benefit. And so, if you give for yourself, it's not going to help you. If you give for other people, that's when it's good for you. And that's why Paul says this. Again, Paul, now this is 2 Corinthians, and he says this. He says, "Uh, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Every man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want reluctant generosity. And God doesn't bless reluctant generosity. God blesses joyful generosity. Whether that's loving your neighbor or serving in, your, in the nursery or giving to a ministry, God loves givers and God wants givers who give because they want to. Who give because they're joyful. Who give kind of out of the attitude that we saw in that video. This guy who just like feels like he's surrounded by presence everywhere. That kind of Giving is the kind of generosity that God wants to see in His people. It's the kind of generosity that God blesses. And really, I mean, a church, uh, any kind of ministry, I would think, would, would only want happy dollars. That's what I want for Trinity. That's what I've always wanted. Just happy dollars. I don't want a, a, a negative nickel to someone to give grudgingly. You know, our budget as a faith family is $600,000 a year. That's a lot of money. But you know, I hope every dollar is a happy dollar and, and not a grumpy dollar. And we don't need grumpy dollars. We don't run on grumpy dollars. That's bad octane for the engine. You know, God doesn't need grumpy dollars. God wants our happy, joyful generosity. And people who, God wants people to give because we want to give. And if you're like, well, I don't even know how to want to give. You know, I don't know how to be a, a pipe and not a bucket. Well, if you want to learn, if you, if you want to kind of take on the mindset that would help you be a happy giver and give happy dollars and not grumpy dollars, is you, you adopt the attitude that's in this verse. The picture is a farmer, a farmer who plants seeds. And if you want to be happy about giving, all you have to do is change your mindset and remember you're a farmer and you're planting seeds. A farmer who plants seeds is the ultimate optimist. He's the ultimate optimist, and he's taking something he has right now, and he's giving it away because he believes there's something better that will come out of giving it away. And so he's optimistic. He is happy to put that seed in the ground. He's happy because he knows it's going to turn into something better. And he knows he is not... See, farmers are not in the business of sowing. They sow, but they're not in the business of sowing. Farmers are in the business of reaping. That's what farmers are good at. They're good at reaping. And that's what motivates them, reaping. So they sow because they love to reap. And that's the picture here, is that whoever sows sparingly, I can't afford to put this seed, I can hardly afford to put a seed in the ground, is going to reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously is going to reap generously. You think like a farmer... And you sow it with joy. There's no such thing as a sour sower. 
There's no such thing as a, 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 a sower who is reluctant to put seed in. It's, it's not, that's not the nature of a true farmer. The nature of a true farmer is to put something in the ground and know it's going to turn into something better. And that's how we serve with generosity. That's how we give financially with generosity. That's how we stop when our spouse or our kids want our attention. And we take that phone and we actually let it leave our hands for a moment. We actually make eye contact with a human being and say, tell me about that. And you're generous with your attention in your marriage. You're generous with your, in your attention with your children. Because you know, hey, you're going to reap a whole lot more from that investment than you are from whatever funny thing is coming up on the internet. So, we think like farmers. We're optimists. We don't hesitate to put seed in the ground because we know it's going to turn into something better. And that we're just sowing because we love to reap. And that's how we cultivate this generous attitude. No such thing as a sour sower. So if we want to cultivate the qualities that God blesses in generosity, we make it a regular practice. We find ways to build it into our lives and make regular withdrawals. It's not even a question. It's a regular practice. It's a habit. Secondly, we're joyful. We know we're just putting seeds in the ground because it's going to turn into something better. So we're not hesitant, we're not reluctant, we're liberal, because we know that 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 will result in something fruitful in time. And then one last quality, and it's another biblical quality, but it's also got some interesting research attached to it. And uh, it's an interesting study from Berkeley on uh, the difference in motivation between Christians and atheists when they give. So they take people who identify themselves as Jesus followers and people who identify themselves as atheists. And they use these two groups and they, they wanted to see if they could tease out some different motivations. So they conducted a number of like, three different experiments to kind of see if they could tease it out. And how they did it was interesting and you, know, you can read about it. But what they found is this. What they found is that both so, so here's one thing they would do, is they'd take folks and put them in a room, and they'd, show, they'd give them fake money, and then they would show them some videos, uh, and, and you know, heartwarming, moving, emotional videos, and then they would encourage them to be generous with their fake money in some kind of forum. I don't, you know, and so you get the idea. They would, they would try to motivate people to give, give them some fake money to give with, and then see how the Christians gave and how the atheists gave and and whether they gave. And here's what they found. They found that both Christians and atheists were generous. And they conducted three different kinds of experiments. One one was like the one I just described to you, but there were two others, kind of very different. And what they found is that Christians and atheists both give. People who love God and people who don't even believe that there is a God give. Give. But they found that they give for different reasons. One group gives out of compassion. They see a video of someone who is poor. They hear of someone in need. It touches their emotions, and they give. I'm not trying to trick you. Which group do you think that is? 
Which group do you think it is that gives out of compassion, out of seeing someone in need and being moved to give? The atheists. The atheists, people who don't believe in God. They, they see someone in need and they feel compassion. That's part of humanity. All right? And they give. But they're generous. The, the people who didn't believe in God were generous when God touched their emotions. The Christians were generous too, but their generosity wasn't situational. wasn't impacted by a video. It wasn't turned on or off by some heartfelt appeal. It wasn't driven by emotion. It was driven by obedience. And that's the final quality, that the generosity that God blesses is, is a response to a generous God. It comes out of knowing that God has dealt generously with us. He gave us His Son. How would He not freely also give us all things? We have such a generous God that, that we give out of gratefulness. We give out of obedience. And we want to do what God has done for us. We want to play that role in the lives of other people. We don't need emotional appeals or slick marketing or a precipitating crisis to be regular and faithful and systematic in our giving. That's actually the the giving that has fueled this church in the years that I've been here. I did a quick little back-of-the-envelope estimate yesterday of how much giving uh, this church has, how much this church has voluntarily given to, to ministry in the years that I've been here. And that number is about uh, 10.5, maybe $11 million. If you can imagine that. In 25 years, all given, and I'll bet almost all of them are happy dollars. That's amazing. And that's not driven by a regular uh, plea from the front. You know, that is driven by the gratefulness of God's people. God's dealt generously with us. And we want to be generous with the people that God has called us to reach. It's just amazing. And so those three qualities, generosity that is regular, generosity that is joyful, generosity that is that is obedient. Those three qualities of generosity. And when we function like that, it just makes you wonder if, if we could cultivate that kind of generosity in our own lives. And if we could cultivate that kind of generosity as a whole faith family, what would that do in this valley? I want you to think about that as we watch uh, this video. This is a video of a woman that Lisa and I actually know and uh, who actually prays for us. She's a woman that we met through her prayers for us, and I think you'll appreciate uh, seeing her story. I had an accident, and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer requests, and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car. 
that her car was needing expensive repairs. I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I would take a few years to save for it. So a couple months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her and, and she said, there was a widow in need, and I gave her the $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just give what I had. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Great Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want it used your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment, and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some so she came to the bakery and uh, she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car. But she said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott and he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. And uh, I went to give them hugs and I said, what's Pete doing here? I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out, And so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So, oh, I said, for me, this is for me. I said, oh, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So, God had new cars <laughs> for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face. And we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable. It felt so right. It was such an excitement to drive it.
We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity. We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. <laughs> yeah, so this is one story I would never forget in my life. story. That woman prays for me and my family, and I love her story. It's such a fabulous picture of how generosity begets generosity. The question is, who's going to start that chain, uh, chain reaction? Where is that going to begin? And you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see in this valley the, the chain reaction of generosity begin right here in this faith family, and that means it's got to begin with us. It's got to begin with each of us as we are generous with our time, as we're generous with our finances. When we started this series, I said this is not because Trinity is in financial straits. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. It has to, everything to do with cultivating a generous mindset in this faith family so that we can connect with the good works that God has created us to do. Without that mindset, we can't connect. With that mindset, we can make a tremendous difference. I've pointed you to a couple of ways if you want to exercise generosity. I've pointed you to uh, the uh, coconut oil project where you can help John and Aaron and their, uh, their partners begin a, a, an enterprise in a village where that village can can turn coconuts into coconut oil with the right equipment and the right kind of training, and it can provide John and Aaron's uh, ministry partners with an opportunity to stay in the country and participate in the Bible translation project that they're participating in. I pointed you towards uh, the Navajo mission trip that's coming up this summer that our young people are going to be taking. And, and uh, you know, there are so many different opportunities. We're uh, serving Blue Ridge this Christmas once again. And so Blue Ridge Christmas, another way you can participate. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Just adopt a mindset of generosity. Make it regular. Make it happy, cheerful, all right? And make it uh, out of obedience. Don't, don't make it be something that you have to be uh, cajoled into doing or, you know, marketed into doing, but instead you do it because you want to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. God has dealt graciously with you, and you want to be gracious with the people that God puts in your path. That's my desire for you. That's my desire for me. Let's pray that God will make it reality. Father, we think of your gracious generosity, how you have withheld nothing from us. No good thing escapes our lives because of your gracious provision for us. We know that's true. We've experienced it, and we know that it is true in the single most important gift that you could ever provide for us, and that's our relationship with you, that, that we don't have to be at odds with you, that because Jesus gave himself, and he emptied himself for our well-being, that we can be part of your family and we can call you the creator of the universe, our Father.
Now we know that we're connected with the God who owns everything. And so we can be pipes. And we don't have to be buckets. And we can be gracious and generous, just like you are with us. This is a lifelong work that you cultivate in us. My prayer is that you would give us that mindset. And that as each of us as individuals adopt that mindset, it would transform this faith family. It would transform our own families. It would transform this valley. And that the the generosity effect, that generosity that begets generosity, would begin with this faith family. Give us a vision for that. Help us to be faithful to that. And we know that as we do that, you'll help us connect with all the different reasons that you put each one of us here. And we we want to connect with those. And so we pray that your spirit would give us what we need to see the world the way that you see it, to see our resources the way that you see them, and to be faithful managers of them. And we ask you to do this through Jesus. Amen.